All right, so we today are starting our new series called The Break-In, and it is an Advent series. Now, here's what this does not mean. Here is what Advent is not. It is, does not mean that it's time to start praying to eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus. That is not what Advent is all about. Here's what Advent is about. Advent, the word Advent means arrival. It means the coming. It means this. God has broken in. That's the series we're in, the break-in. And now listen, this is not a metaphorical break-in. This is a literal break-in where God has physically entered into the world. And he's breaking into your life right now. Now, here, here's the deal. A lot of people struggle to believe in the resurrection. And, and I think actually the struggle is not as much with the resurrection as with the break-in. Because if God can break into the world, surely he could break out of the world. Surely he could break out of death. I think the big problem that we have, and if you're a Christian, when your doubts start coming at you, I would bet that those doubts are rooted in what you make of God breaking into the world. If break-in is possible, Everything changes. Your view of the world, your view of yourself, your view of God, your relationship with God. If break-in is possible, then, and then here's what that means for you. Today, the break-in means there is hope for change. Hope for change in you and hope for change around you. And before I read the scripture today that we're, we're reading, Isaiah 64 i got to just give you the situation that they're in, the context of the Scripture. And here's what it is. So back in the day, way back in the day, before the verses that we're going to read were written, here's what happened. God's people were in slavery in Egypt. And God comes in and rescues his people, and they go out into the wilderness. And then eventually, he brings them into the promised land. And then, here's what, they get into the promised land, and absolutely all of the nations around Israel, around God's people, are looking at what's happening in Israel, and they are in awe because of how much God is blessing them, and then something happens. They turn away from God. They turn their back on God. They start living like they don't need him around anymore, like they don't see him as their king, as their authority, as their protector, as the one they hope and trust in. And by doing this, listen closely here, by doing this, they are driving God out. Not in the way, not in the way that God, they are more powerful than God. But in the way, do you want me to answer it? So listen, not in the way that they are more powerful than God, but in a way that God gives them over to their desires. So they drive God out, God gives them over to their desires, and then here's what happens. As, and again, this is, this is think about this in your life. So as they drive God out, here's what happens. An earthly king comes in from Babylon, and this Babylonian king wrecks their land, wrecks their world, wrecks their life, and drives them out of the land, and they become exiled. 
Now, here's what also happens. So eventually, and it's a little unclear about the context, but eventually here's what happens. They get back to their homeland, and it's a wreck. The temple's been destroyed. Listen, life is not as it's meant to be. They are home, but they feel homeless. Something is not right. And they long for things to be changed the way they're meant to be. And here's the significance for you in all this. When the Bible looks at your life, it characterizes it just like this. We're, we are home, but we are still homeless. This is our home in a way. You can walk into your home, but still there's something always missing. There's still a longing. There's still a desire that you aren't finding at your home because it's not actually your true home where you're meant to be. And what we find in the verses is that the people end up realizing, man, we have gotten rid of God and we long for him to come back and be our king so that all things will be made right again. We long for him to break back in because they realize something. They can't do it. They can't fix their problem. And by the way, so these verses I'm about to read, as we're unpacking them, you know what they're going to feel like? They're going to feel like a punch in the gut. But they're also going to feel like, you know that feeling when you're under the water for too long and you're like coming up for air and it's like, oh, I've been under here too long, I better get up. And then it feels like, like air is a little too far away and you finally come up out and you take that deep breath and it's this relieving feeling. Well, the verses also feel like that. So, here you go. Here's the verses. Isaiah 64, 1 through 12. And this is your greatest hope, by the way. All right, listen. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. No, the word rend means tear open. So, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we didn't look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins, we have been for a long time and shall we be saved. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But you, O oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please come. We are all your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. You, our holy and beautiful house, where our fathers praised you, has been burned by fire, and all of our pleasant places have become ruins. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent 
and afflict us so terribly. All right. First thing, first question that we have to ask is, break in actually possible? Is it for God, is it possible for God to rend open the heavens, to rip open the heavens and come down? And if he does that, is that violating his character? Is that making him not God anymore? Or can he do this and remain God at the same time? And the answer is yes, and he does. Verse 1 is a longing for him to come down. But then look at verse 3 and 4. Verse 3 and 4 are referencing back when God has already ripped open the heavens and he has come down into the earth to be with his people. Then it was more spiritually than physically. But that means it has happened and it is possible in all throughout the Bible. I didn't even know this before. It's a beautiful thing. All throughout the Bible, from Genesis all the way to the end in Revelation, you hear these words over and over again. The heavens opened. The heavens opened from Genesis to Revelation. Now, if you believe, here's typically how it goes. So you believe, okay, there's a God. And typical believing is God is up here, we are down here. And we're in like this box. And it's got like a two-way mirror so God can look in and see us, but we can't see him. And he's watching what we're doing. And, and the thing is, if we do enough good stuff, then maybe we can break out of the box and we can be with God. But what the Bible says is, no, 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 that doesn't work. You can't break out. It's not, it doesn't work that way. The story of you and God is that God breaks in and then breaks you out. And if you think God can't get involved with creation, if you think it's violating his character, then Philippians 2, because this is what we think a lot, like how can God actually become man? So Philippians 2 answers this question for us, and here's what it says. He laid his glory aside. Meaning this, you think about it like this. So say there's a king, and then the king goes to become a bum. But he's still the king. He just dresses like a bum. He goes to live among the bums. Well, why would a king do that? Because he wants to be with the bums. He wants to help the bums. He wants to rescue the bums. You say, well, why wouldn't he just go and rescue the bums? Why has he got to become like the bums? Well, you've got to listen to the rest of the story. I will go on. Essentially, what our text is saying is this. If breaking isn't possible then you will never become who you're made to become. And if breaking is not possible, then you will never get the world that you long for. All right, so now, now, look at this. This is our longing for the breaking. In verse one, they're longing. They're saying, oh, that you would rend open the heavens. So why are they longing? Because things are not right. Something is wrong. If you want something that this world cannot give you, that's a longing for God to rip open the heavens. Whether you believe he can do it or not, you've got to deal with the fact that you long for something more and that longing, what it really is, is a longing for God to rip open the heavens and come and be with you. And then verse 10 through 12, we see that the world around them is in ruin. And God's the only one who can fix it. In other words, you long for God to come and make this his home for him to come and dwell amongst you. And this longing for break-in is, is an acknowledgement that we have messed up. 
and we want him to come back. We long for him to return. Now, you got to think about it this way. Again, so think about God is like this great king. And this great king is ruling with wisdom and grace and with love and everything is as it's meant to be. But then the king's people want him out. And so the king says, okay, I'll go. And so he goes. And then this land spirals. This deep sickness sets in and everything starts messing up and things aren't going the way they should be going. You want the world around you to be different now. And then you say, oh, remember when the king was here and things were right and as they were meant to be. And then there begins to be a longing for the king to return. See, your life is not going how you want it to. And here's your solution. Man, I got to fix some stuff. I got to get my life together. Or you read these, self, yeah, I'm going to improve. I'm going to read some self-help books and they're going to teach me how to think positive and how to make better life for myself. Or we say, I just got to try harder, but this is what the verses are saying. Nothing will help you but God. Now we just finished our, our we just finished wisdom in everyday life. And there's obviously choices that we make that dictate our future. However, the deeper problems in life, the bigger problems in life are only handled by God. So here's what we do. Things aren't going the way we want them to go. So we say, oh, I need to escape from my life. I need to move. I need to have a big, huge change of scenery. I just make a huge life change. I've got to do something drastic. I've got to do something maybe unhealthy. Or, or maybe you're sick or your loved ones are sick or you've lost somebody. You know what all of this means? You know what you really need? You just need God to break in. This idea that we have that we can change the world is prideful and it's arrogant. You know what the world really needs? People to hit their knees and pray to God that he would open up the heavens all throughout the Bible, we see God having favor on people, and when God has favor on his people, things begin to go well. What we need is people who are willing to drop to their knees and pray to God. We got to be desperate for him. He says, oh, that you would rend open the heavens. There's a desperation here. And if you want to really meet the living God, you've got to be desperate or it doesn't happen. You've got to realize your internal temperature, you know what it needs to be? It needs to be a deep longing for God to break in. It needs to be a realization that this does not work without God. And the first thing that starts happening when he starts breaking in is not really what you want, actually. He starts breaking in, and you want him to fix your situation. And you know what he does? He begins to fix you. He begins to work on your heart. He begins to transform you from the inside out. 
verse 8, says that we are clay and God is the potter and we're struggling and we're longing for break-in and what he's doing is he's coming and he's molding us before he does anything else. First, he goes for us. He goes for you. He's not going for your situation. He's going for you because he wants you. He wants your heart. So it goes like this. You struggle and you're longing for God and you cry out in desperation for him to fix your problems and your situation around you, and he comes into your heart and he starts changing you. More and more into who you're made to be. I mean, it's all throughout Scripture, over and over and over again. I mean, so, so the first mistake we make is this. Ah, in order for God to rescue me, I have to be good. And actually what we see is God's people are stuck in slavery and God frees them out of slavery, takes them into the wilderness and then teaches them how to live. But guess where they are? They're in the wilderness. After the wilderness is the promised land. And we're longing for the promised land and we're praying, God, give us the promised land. And you know what he's doing? He's bringing you into the wilderness. So you're in slavery and you're like, God, give us the promised land. God, give, us, give me everything I want, God, please. And you know what he does? He brings you to the wilderness. And you're super mad about it. And you know what God's doing? He's making you more and more and more into who you're made to be. You're going to come out like gold. He's more concerned with your heart than your situation. In fact, it's likely that your situation is helping you become who you're made to be. Not because your situation is doing it, but because your situation is driving you to God. Think about it like this. Practically speaking, someone you love gets shot. You see the person who's done it, but the person you love is they're dying. Are you going to chase down the person who did it, or are you going to go to the person you love, get them to the hospital, and help them get better? You're going to take them to the hospital. This is what God's doing with us. He's not changing your situation first. He's changing you. He's more concerned about you than your situation. You're going, I mean, if you're not going through difficult times, you're going to at some point. Let that drive you to God and let him break into your life and he'll start working on your heart first. All right, so we long for God. He breaks in. Now here's what happens next. There becomes this huge conflict between you and God. And it's far worse than you realize. The conflict is this. It's what your attitude has been towards God. Mine, yours, all of us. Don't forget, he's the king of the cosmos. And we kicked him out. And if you don't think that's true, every single sin, do you want to know what sin is? Every time you don't live the way you're meant to live, the way, you're, the way you ought to live, do you know what that is? That's saying, God, I'm in control of my life. I'm the authority in my life. I'm the king in my life. So get out. The throne is mine. And what you're doing is you're committing cosmic tyranny. That's all. Do you know what happens and you come face to face with a perfectly holy God who just, you've just committed treason against? 
justice. And we say, oh, you know, though, I mean, he's going to take it easy on me, right? I mean, he's going he's gonna to let it slide. He's going to slip this under the rug. Everything's going to be fine, right? Well, think about what you're asking. If you're saying that, just think about this. So you long for the world that you're made for. You long for everything to be made right. You long for a just world where everything as it's meant to be. But you say, but God, don't do it to me. Do it to the world around me. And, and so here's what happens. You never get the world you long for. Because if God's not going to bring justice down on you, that means he's not going to bring justice down everywhere else. So that means that there's a whole bunch of things wrong and he's never making them right. So you need him to break in, to fix your situation and to fix your heart. But as soon as he breaks in, you say, oh no, this is bad. What's going to happen? And, and let, me just, let me just make it a little worse. Verse 6. <laughs> this is awkward a little bit, but... Uh, verse 6 says, we have all become unclean. How unclean? Well, like polluted garment. Now, okay, what's a polluted garment? Um, I'm trying to think of a way to hint at this. And so, uh, once a month, um, women have this, this thing that shows up. Um, and the rumor is that makes women a little crazy when it happens. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. Um, I've never seen it happen. You know, just, you know myself here. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, good. I don't have to say it, so thank you. Um, so here's what, here's what it's saying. It says, your most righteous things, the best things that you do, it says, they are like polluted garments to God. Now, why would he say that? That's super rude. Why would God say that the best things we've got are this? Well, here's why. Because there are motives behind why we do the things that we do. So we go to God and we're like, God, I really want you to fix this situation. But after you do, you can go. Come in, make everything the way I want it to be, but then I don't still want you to be the king. I just want you to make it how I want it to be, and then I want you to go back away so I can live the way I want to live. Just think about your prayers for a minute. Are you enjoying God in your prayers all the time, or are you asking God to give you things that you enjoy more than God? And if so, for God, you're praying. Well done. But it looks like polluted racks. See how it's a punch in the gut? Sorry to have to do that to you. Um, you're not laughing about that. When you kick a king out of his land for justice to happen when he returns... It's going to be pointed at us. But here's the problem. We long for him to return, but if he returns, what happens to us? We want him to make everything right. I can feel you guys squirming in your seats how like, uncomfortable this is making you. And I'm glad that's the case. Because listen, it's really, really a bad situation for us. So what's going to happen? We need God to come and fix our situation and fix our heart, but as soon as he comes to fix everything, justice is pointed at us. So what's going to happen? It feels like an impossible situation. I'm just praying right now that you feel the weight of the impossible situation that we are in. 
Like, you know, in the movies, when you're watching a movie and you're like, how is this person going to get out of this situation? That's the situation that I want you to feel like you're in right now. Feel the weight of it. How can God come and fix our situation and us without crushing us? The answer is found years later in the New Testament. Colossians 3, 3. You know what it tells us? It says we're hidden in Christ. Now, we saw in our verses that God is hiding from us. Why is he hiding from us? Is he scared of us? No. You know why he's hiding from us? Out of grace. Because if he looks at us with all of his justice, then we are in trouble. So he hides himself from us. But now what does it say? It says we are actually hidden in Christ. So we fast forward this to the cross, and here's what happens on the cross. Jesus takes our polluted rags, our sins, and he clothes himself with it. I mean, this is a horrible, disgusting visual. But look, you got to look at it. This is what God is doing. He's clothing him. How could God do this? He's doing it because he loves you. He clothes himself in our sin, and he's crushed under the weight of justice, and then, then trades places with us, and then listen, so he traded places with us, and now we are covered in him. We are hidden inside of him, and so now when the Father looks at you, he sees the perfection of Christ, and he doesn't have to hide from you anymore. You can come fully into his presence and get and be completely changed by him because justice has been executed on your behalf on the cross, and you are now free. You're free. And then you walk in, you can walk into the presence of God spiritually. You can pray. Do you know what it says? Colossians 3.1. It says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Do you know what a picture of that is? The heavens opened up. You know that feeling when you can't seem to get things right? You have this thing that you keep doing over and over and over again and you want to stop doing it, but you can't seem to stop. You have this vision of who you're made to become and you're not, and, and it feels so far away. The heavens are open and what it's saying is go to Christ. Don't go to some self-help book. Though, though, those are probably great for you. Don't go there first though. Go to God. Go to Christ. There's deeper things going on inside of you and all the self-help books, they're just behavior modification. They're just covering up what's really going on inside. So let God deal with what's going on on the inside and then you're gonna be changed on the outside. You're gonna be transformed from the inside out. Right now. Like when we start, like when, when David was praying, praying that God would reveal himself, how can we pray that? Because we've been hidden in Christ. Now, when you pray, look, Christ, if you're a Christian, please, when you pray, we gotta start praying like we actually believe God's hearing our prayers. Because the heavens are opened up. And we got to start praying and realize that he's actually answering our prayers. He's just not answering them the way we want to always. But let me tell you something. If you had the infinite wisdom that God had, he would answer every single one of your prayers because you would be asking for the thing that is best for you. But we don't have that. And so God holds back some of our prayers. He doesn't answer our prayers or he doesn't answer them in the time that we want him to answer them. Why? Because he's a lot smarter than us. 
He's up to something. Okay, so now maybe you're saying, as you should be, okay, so essentially what I've just said is we're out of slavery and we're in the wilderness. So is this as good as it gets? Do we just keep on like, oh God, this painful growth that's happening in my life, is this just what it is? This is what the Christian life is, is over and over and over again. Is this what life is? And the answer is no. He's changing you first, but then one day he's going to change our world. Now, so this week I went to Nashville. A bunch of church leaders were getting together talking about the state of the church and the future of the church. And essentially what we have decided is the most relevant thing our world needs is a biblical church. And that's not the story, though. So I get to the airport, jump in my Uber, heading over to the place where I need to go, and I'm talking to the Uber driver, and it comes up what, what I'm here for, and so we're talking, and I tell him about our church, and I tell him about our skeptics-only Bible study, and he says, oh, that sounds really cool. I wish there was something like that around here. And I said, well, what's your hang-up with God? And he said, oh, you know, I asked God for a better life, and he's not giving it to me. I want a better life, and it's, he's not helping me at all. So I, I feel like I'm just doing it on my own. It's up to me to do this. I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to get myself the life that I want. Um, and, here's, and here's the thing that he was missing. We're in exile. We're in the wilderness right now. We have a changed record completely right in the eyes of God. And our heart is changed, and it's a new heart, and it's being changed. But we are not yet in the promised land. Things are not yet as they're meant to be, yet. But Colossians 3, 4 says this. When, we, when, Christ, appears, when Christ appears, you will appear with him in glory. Do you know what that means? There's another advent coming. There's another appearance. There's another arrival. And when he arrives, he is not coming, hiding himself. He is coming in all of his glory. And when he comes in all of his glory, do you know what he does? He makes all things right. No hurt, no death, no pain. Everything right. He's fixed our record, fixed our heart. But now we are Waiting. 64, chapter 64, verse 4 in Isaiah says, God acts for those who wait. This is the hardest thing to do for the Christian, is to wait. But all of this life begins to make sense when we understand this, that we have been saved, but we're also being saved, and we also one way will be fully saved. And that's what we're waiting for. And that is what we're longing for. So we got to go to him with faith, understanding that salvation, that rescue is past, present, and future. And let me tell you, when you are struggling to wait, do you know what you have to do? You have to remember how God has been patient with you. 
and how he's waited for you. And he's waiting and he's encouraging you to grow. And as that's happening, you say, okay, he, I can wait. But that's not really enough. Here's what's enough. You've got to trust him in the waiting. And you know how you do that? You've got to go back and remember. Just like it said, he's, the writer is remembering back to what God has done. So what has God done for you? He's, he loves you so much that he's gone to the cross. And he's wore your sins upon the cross. And he's crushed under the weight of your sin. And he's risen from the grave. And he's rising you up and changing you every single day to become who you're made to become. And one day he's bringing you to the place that you're meant to be forever. And when you remember that, you say, I have a God who's willing to die for me. I have a God who's willing to be clothed in polluted rags for me. If he's willing to do that, then I can trust him. I see that he loves me. That's a God worth waiting for. I'm telling you, in the midst of struggle, you ought to remember we're in the wilderness but there's promises for the future I've, if I, one of the main reasons I see people walk away from the church walk away from God is because they don't understand that they're in the wilderness right now God's changing them and that's where we're all at he's changing us He's more concerned about our hearts than our situation but he's concerned about your situation and we're going to talk about that more in this series but right now he just wants you to become more and more and more of who you're made to be. Okay, let me pray. God, we thank you for making a way for us. And God, I pray right now that nobody mishears what is said, that you are the God of both justice and love. You are not one or the other, but you hold them up both. You are the ultimate definition of justice and the ultimate definition of love. And those two seem paradoxical, but then they all completely make sense at the cross. So God, help us to make sense of all this. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, one of the best ways, because we're waiting. You guys feel like you're waiting? Okay. Are you frustrated in your waiting? I know I don't normally talk to you like this. You have to say something, though. All right. One of the best things for you to do in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the wait, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the kind of numbness to God and the numbness to life, like if things are going well, what ends up happening to us is we become numb to God. So one of the best things to do is to have communion. Because it's a reminder of what he's done. So, here's what happened. The night that Jesus was arrested, here's what he did. He was with his friends before he was arrested. And he had bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he says, whenever you do this, remember that I have ripped open the heavens and I've come for you. But not only that, for you to be hidden in me, I have ripped open my own flesh so you can hide inside of me. And then he took the cup. He said, this is my promise that I've made to you long ago. 
that I'm coming for you. And I love you. And I'm not going to stop coming for you. So whenever we drink of this, we remember that truth. So what we're going to do now, we're going to have two songs. And somewhere between the two songs, um, stand up in the back. There's bread, and you take the bread, and you dip it in the juice or the wine. Um, And here's the important part for you. Here's what I want all of us to be thinking right now. Feel the weight of your struggle. Feel the weight of what it would be like to walk into the presence of God and then to know that you are completely accepted and loved because of the work of Christ crucified. Feel the weight of that. Every step you make towards communion is a step saying, I believe it's true. Make every step a, a greater belief. The heavens have been opened for you. Now let's do this. Let's open up our hearts to God and see. Let's be open-minded, open-hearted to see what God has to say to us right now, say to you in your heart. Okay? All right. Let's stand. We're going to sing. I'm going to pray for us as we're about to do what we're going to do. Father, we we pray right now that uh, you would open up our minds and our hearts to meet with you. Um, God, that we would, we would actually believe that the heavens have been opened and we have access to you. We're not alone, God. And we pray now that your spirit would reveal to us this truth, that we're not alone, that you're fighting for us and you have fought and you're continuing to fight and one day you're going to come as the great warrior to make all things right. We long for that day, God. Help us remember it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.